You're listening to Global Conversations. On February 13th, 2021, Mario Draghi was sworn in as the 59th Prime Minister of Italy. From 2011 to 2019, Draghi was the president of the European Central Bank, and from 2005 to 2011, he was the governor of the Bank of Italy. Draghi's ascent to the office of prime minister comes after his predecessor, Giuseppe Conte, was unable to retain the confidence of Italy's coalition government. Draghi is Italy's 10th prime minister since the turn of the century and is Italy's seventh prime minister in just the last decade. He's become prime minister at a tempestuous time in the country's history. The COVID-19 pandemic has taken the lives of almost 100,000 Italians, inequality is rising, government debt as a percentage of GDP is at 130%, anti-immigrant and refugee sentiments are strong, and so on. Joining me today to discuss the turmoil surrounding Italian governments and politics is Dr. Paolo Granata. Dr. Granata is an assistant professor and coordinator of the Book and Media Studies program at St. Michael's College at the University of Toronto. He joined the University of Toronto in 2017 after spending 15 years at the University of Bologna in Italy, where he almost entirely established his own academic career in research, teaching, and public engagement. From 2015 to 2017, he was visiting professor and program curator at the McLuhan Center for Cultural and Technology at the University of Toronto. And currently, he is the curator of the McLuhan Salon series and chair of the Toronto School Initiative at the University of Toronto. He's also the president of the Media Ecology Association, director of the 3D Gutenberg Lab, and director of the Media Ethics Lab. Dr. Granata is also an affiliated faculty member of the University of Toronto School of Cities and a senior fellow at Massey College at the University of Toronto. Dr. Granata, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for uh, the invitation and it's a pleasure to be here. So my first question for you is, how does Italy find itself in this situation? Namely, what led to the fall of the Conte government and the rise of the Draghi government? Well, I think uh, the best way to understand the contemporary Italian uh, circus, the political circus, as I like to say, because it's uh, from a, an Italian perspective, it's, it's even more engaging than any Netflix uh, 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 series because it's so, it's so uh, again, engaging and entertaining to some extent. But the best way to understand the current uh, Italian political scenario is that um, um, is to understand our political system, how it works. So the uh, prime minister in Italy is not elected, right, during the elections, right? Compared to, for instance, US uh, or uh, Canada, we are a presidential republic, right? It is the president of republic, but the prime minister is designated by the president of republic, right? Um, following uh, advice, suggestions, and following the sustain of other political parties, particularly those who got a kind of majority, right? This is very important. So because the prime minister is designated by the president of republic, uh, the prime minister can change throughout the uh, legislature, right? Which is uh, uh, five years. It means that uh, we got so far from since 2018, right? We got different governments, different uh, prime ministers. Also, we like to call uh, the Conte first, uh, Conte bis, which means a second, right? We were going to do a Conte ter, ter which means third. So 
the president, the prime minister can be designated. That's why it will change and can change through the legislature because of changing in the political uh, arena, in the Italian political arena. That's why we came to Draghi. We arrived to Draghi, which was again designated by the President of the Republic after two different governments, Conte I and Conte II, right? And even before Conte I, uh, in order to reach, uh, to uh, designate Conte I, uh, the President of the Republic has been probing different uh, options, different um, um, potential prime ministers designated in order to uh, probe whether or not there was a majority able to sustain that government. Hmm? And so, firstly, the, the best way to understand the contemporary political scenario, why Draghi is coming right now, after three years, the elections, so the elections were in 2018, Draghi is coming now because of the uh, how the political, Italian political and constitution works, right? To designate, so the prime minister is not elected. It's a, a representative of the majority in place. And even majority can change, right? This is interesting, uh, particularly because uh, another context contextual information, I think it's important to understand Italian political scenario nowadays, that uh, since uh, Berlusconi, until Berlusconi age, right, there was a kind of polarization in the political uh, uh, arena. It was center left and center right, right? Like, for instance, in US, we have Republicans and Democrats. It's pretty easy. In Canada, we have three main um, polarizations, but essentially there are major, major parties that can eventually get. And so until uh, uh, mid-2000s, there was a kind of polarization, center-left and center-right. Berlusconi was a center-right, moderated center tending to the right, but essentially it's, it was easy to get a majority. Even Berlusconi was able to um, run the country and govern for many years because he had a strong majority, right? Same on the other hand, the center left with Prodi and others. However, after the mid 2000s and at the end of 2000s, uh, the, and particularly this is important, since the beginning of the five star movements, the five stars movements was a game changer in the political uh, Italian scenario. The five stars movement changed everything because there was no longer left and right, center left and center right, uh, um, liberal uh, um, or and progressive on the other side. The five stars changed everything they created not a center, but they created a third party, a third uh, um, um, element in this um, political scenario that was again polarized. And after the Five Stars movement is no longer polarized, it's much more diverse and complex to some extent. And so that's why eventually uh, um, at the end of 2000s, the Italian political uh, arena is much more fragmented much more diverse, uh, much more, uh, it, it's, it's more difficult to reach a majority because five stars are nor left or right. So they are uh, 
depending on <laughs> depending on the most convenient majority so they've been uh, they've been uh, at the government uh, in the first uh, contest uh, government um, govern uh, with uh, lega uh, with salvini and so on with, which is center left center right pretty uh, populist and almost extreme right then they they were in the Conte two the second the Conte bis they were with PD the part the Democratic Party, which is center left. So five stars movement, I think it was a game changer that reshaped the whole political uh, scenario in Italy. That's why eventually we had so far since 2018, the Draghi's is the third. Uh, majority is the third government is the third uh, time uh, there is a new a new uh, coalition supporting a prime minister right and um, in this difference to compare the to Canada when elect essentially people elect the prime minister they know who is going to run the country when they cast their uh, vote into the ballot right uh, same uh, same in um, US it's 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 different but eventually they are uh, they know who is going to run the country in italy when people vote they can guess they can uh, imagine who is going to run the country but there is no certainty until the uh, president of republic designates the prime minister who gets the trust from the parliament from a majority and then eventually Got, uh, got empowered to form uh, the, the government. And so here we are, February 21, the third government since the elections in 2018 with Draghi. And then maybe later I'll tell you why Draghi is there to some extent. What specifically, what are the specific events that led to the fall of the Conte government? I read in the news that um, the former prime minister, Matteo Renzi, and Prime Minister Conte, um, they disagreed about certain uh, economic measures related to COVID-19 pandemic. Could you elaborate more on that? Yes. The New York Times recently uh, commented the rise of Draghi's government as a Renzi's gambit, right? It was a gambit. And uh, to some extent, the gambit was to, uh, to Conte. So firstly, Conte... Uh, was there supported by the Democratic Party, by uh, Five Stars uh, Movement, by Italia Viva, the same uh, movement that uh, Renzi founded after leaving the uh, Democratic Party, and, uh, and a few other minor, uh, minor uh, forces and political parties in Italy. However, that, uh, um, that government, According to, particularly according to Renzi, was not uh, uh, was not capable of managing the current crisis, the current situation. There were many conflicts, particularly how to spend how to spend the so-called um, how to spend. Uh, the so-called uh, um, uh, recovery fund, recovery plan, which is a huge amount of money coming from Europe, 210, about 210 
millions of euros, right, gave given to the um, countries to Italy no, in just order to by billions of euros, right? Uh, uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, two hundred ten billions of euros given to uh, Italy from Europe in order to um, start up reforms and substantial political changes in order to, of course, face the, the current crisis. So that was the uh, origin of the, the conflict between, in particular, Renzi and Renzi's uh, movement and um, the, the former majority. Also because um, Renzi, even with a few um, senators, uh, a few um, representatives in the high and lower chamber, he could make a difference with the majority because the majority was so uh, related, to, the majority was not so solid in order for Conzi to move on even without Renzi. Essentially, without Renzi, Renzi Conte couldn't move on with those uh, um, plans, with those uh, political reforms and so on. So eventually Renzi could make a difference and he did it. So I wanted to say, okay, now if we want to move on, we need to rethink the way we are spending the money coming from Europe for the recovery fund, the recovery plan. Um, we have to rethink the way we are uh, planning um, reforms in the um, uh, justice political reforms. Uh, work in labor political reforms and so on. So eventually, Renzi, even with a few representatives in the high and lower cameras, in eight and uh, in, uh, the, the lower chamber, even with a few uh, representatives could make a lot of difference. And eventually, um, there was also an opportunity for uh, making a shift, for uh, for taking uh, the Italian government uh, to a next level. So he, he was not satisfied since the beginning of the Conte II, the second Conte government, Renzi was not satisfied in terms of the actual ministers uh, in, in the government uh, from five stars, uh, uh, from, um, from particularly from five stars, from the Democratic Party as well. Uh, to some extent, uh, Renzi couldn't do that move, that gambit. Maybe he was planning to before the pandemic, then the pandemic uh, arrived, so he couldn't make uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. Probably he have been wait, has been waiting for a while before uh, doing that gambit. And eventually, probably he realized, okay, uh, the end of the year now is the right time to make the change happen. So then probably that was planned to some extent. Many political commentators are, are saying that that was a move well planned in order to do it at the right, at the right time to, to make a boost, to boost the government, particularly in prospect of that huge amount of money coming from Europe. And rather than having Conte with that kind of uh, weak majority and weak government uh, spending that money, the main uh, rationale for Renzi's strategy was, okay, 
let's have this huge amount of money be spent by the most uh, competent uh, professional, the most trustable, reliable, uh, um, um, third, uh, third party uh, uh, representative of the Italian uh, politics and economy, which is Mario Draghi, right? So he had uh, Mario Draghi as the perfect, the perfect, uh, again, Queen's Gambit, if we want to make that metaphor, the perfect person for uh, uh, taking uh, the uh, government to a higher level. Also in terms of competency, because eventually we knew, and everybody knew that Draghi uh, was able to bring into the, um, into the government uh, the highest uh, competencies uh, in in, uh, in in the business in the market the highest uh, uh, representatives uh, even beyond the political uh, parties uh, we call it uh, technicians so we we use this term technicians so essentially um, experts in their field that can contribute to the government and so we knew and everybody knew Renzi knew that R R Draghi was able to bring. Uh, the uh, most respectable experts bring them into the government and taking the government to a higher and next level. Perfect. That actually leads really well into my next question. Uh, and I want to ask you more about these technicians that you just described. Um, so the, the Draghi government has been described as a technocratic government. Could you please explain to our audience what a technocratic government is and how do you envision the Draghi government will govern? I think technocratic is not the right word as, as this government has been shaped. There, um, there were some technocratic governments, for instance, uh, back in 2011, the uh, so-called Mario Monti, another Super Mario, Mario Monti at the time. Mario Monti had uh, the, um, he was charged by the president of the public to form a technocratic government. After that crisis in 2011, uh, Mario Monti had this mandate. So make a, a, a government uh, shaped by technicians, experts, in order to uh, face the crisis, in order to bring uh, the, uh, the government to the next election. election. Okay? That was in 2011. So that was a Mario Monti was a really technocratic government. This time is different. These technicians are these are experts in their in their uh, relevant fields. They're not necessarily elected to the government, but they're brought in by the prime minister. Absolutely, they are oh. not uh, even. Uh, I said, even the prime minister in Italy can be not uh, uh, elected by by the elections. Even the ministers, of course. Uh, basically, same in Canada. You can designate any minister, even if he's not elected, because he's, he's he or she is the best in um, their field. But essentially, yes, Mario Monti in 2011, he was able to bring the most com highest competencies from experts in their field, not elected, not associated to any political party, super parties, all right, not. Uh, um, um, referred to any political uh, or ideology, 
because uh, to some extent it's a neutral, right? It's a neutral uh, uh, team of people, right? Brought together by the prime minister. Uh, and again, the prime minister in 2011, again, he was not elected. Mario Monti was not uh, in, um, in the parliament already. And so that was a very technocratic party. This time, this is very important. This, this time, the president of Republic, Mattarella, uh, called uh, Mario Draghi, right, to come to Rome. And of course, there were some uh, connections before. So Mattarelli, Mattarella knew that Draghi was going to accept with reservations, but accepting that uh, um, designation, that charge. So this time, Mattarella gave Draghi, so the President of Republic gave the designated Prime Minister the uh, ability, the flexibility to form a government with or without politics, politicians. He, Draghi, was charged to take the best decision for the um, in order to form a new government so he had that draghi had a lot of trust from the president of republic so may they probably had discussions on how to shape a fully political or fully technocratic or maybe something in between so eventually draghi had a lot of uh, uh, openings uh, from the President of Republic in order to shape the best government for uh, um, the immediate uh, um, circumstances. And so eventually Draghi didn't do a fully 100% technocratic government. Eventually, uh, uh, the, the, his um, uh, team of ministers is 50-50, I will say, it's about 50-50, experts from their field, not associated to any political party, not elected, right? The most, uh, what, some of the most respectable and accountable uh, uh, people, uh, highest uh, um, representatives of civil society and the economy and university professors. So the highest uh, uh, individuals in their field, not associated to any political party, and the other 50% about from, uh, um, uh, from basically from the uh, political parties. And how Draghi was able to involve those uh, political parties, of course, uh, in order to get the majority, because once the government is shaped, uh, Draghi had to go to the parliament and get the approval. So in order to get the approval, the trust, the fiducia, in order to get the approval, eventually Draghi had to uh, um, make sure that the most important political parties were able to sustain and approve his government. And so eventually three ministers are from the Lega, the Lega Nord, Salvini's party, three from Democratic Party, I think three for five stars, maybe four, I think four from five stars, and then uh, one from Italia Viva, so uh, one from Leo, the um, center-left but left movement, a small movement uh, as a former um, Democratic Party that then created uh, Leo. And so eventually 
Draghi was able to combine politicians and technicians. This is a perfect balanced uh, uh, government between politics and uh, civil society uh, representatives. But we must say that the most crucial, the most important uh, rooms have been given to the technicians. So economy, justice, uh, um, we internal affairs, the most crucial uh, ministers are technicians that are completely trusted by Draghi in order to run uh, um, the reforms because the most important uh, scenario now is to bring Italy, and this is what the Europe is asking, to make the reforms, the political reforms the Italy needs in order to not only face the crisis, but, only, but also to uh, match the European um, Union contest. So the most important ministers are from Draghi's. The less important, let's say to put it simple, the less uh, influential ministers. So we call it, we have a, um, we call it senza portafoglio, without uh, wallet. So they don't, it means that, yeah, they don't have money into the, but essentially the less important ministers are from the political parties. The most crucial and influential ministers are technicians, are experts in their field. And that will make a huge difference because Draghi is like uh, he is running two different teams, right? So he has a, he has the, has the bench, the politicians, the politicians are on the bench, but the, who is actually playing the game is a team of experts and technicians brought in by Draghi. The only exception maybe it's, uh, it's um, Luigi Di Maio, the five stars uh, minister uh, for the foreign affairs, which is the, probably one of the most prestigious ministers in Italy. However, he was already there from the contest government. Uh, and so eventually in order to accommodate five stars uh, uh, party, so he didn't uh, remove Luigi Di Maio the for, um, from the, being the, the foreign affairs uh, minister. And so he was able to, to hold, to keep that position, which is the most prestigious. However, we must say that with Mario Draghi, with such a, a great personality as a prime minister, the minister of foreign affairs will be just, uh, well, uh, at the shadow of the such more, more influential personality, which is Mario Draghi. And so eventually there was a little gift to five stars uh, that Luigi Di Maio is still the minister of foreign affairs, which is again prestigious, can make a huge difference. However, because Mario Draghi is Mario Draghi, Super Mario, um, that was not a huge uh, issue. But again, the most... Uh, uh, crucial um, ministers um, are now um, um, completely controlled by Mario Draghi because he brought in um, those uh, technicians and experts to, to really uh, execute the reforms Europe is asking. Okay, so you're describing what we can call, I guess, a semi-technocratic -techn uh, government. 
where you have these politicians and you have these experts in their fields that are brought in by Draghi to perform their duties. So keeping in mind this semi-technocratic government, um, what are some ideas or reforms that Draghi wants to implement with this government? You're talking about these reforms that um, the European Union has charged Italy with, with performing. Um, what, are, what are some of those reforms that Draghi wants to implement? Absolutely. The first, line, the first uh, reform, uh, which is a, a driving force uh, for the Draghi's government and ideas, is uh, environmental sustainability and sustain economic sustainability. Sustainability is the key. Uh, the kind of environmental shift, right, that we really, we really uh, expect from this government. Uh, in Italy, well, we like language, we like playing with words. We can environmental transition and sustainable transition. Transition means to a more sustainable world. And this is great. This is absolutely great also because uh, sustainability uh, is not just environmental sustainability. It deals with any aspect in society, particularly the economic, um, economic uh, realm. And so that was a first important uh, reform Draghi is driving, is leading in, in Italy in order to accomplish that environmental shift that is uh, not only a European Union uh, uh, request, but also a global, a, global, a global need. Then there are two important reforms express precisely the, the, the Europe is asking. Firstly, is the labor, the labor market, the labor reform. How uh, the, labor is, um, the labor market is working in Italy is based nowadays on some um, forms of uh, subsidies, including the, uh, we call it reddito di cittadinanza, which is a kind of a social income. Uh, uh, it's called the universal income, social income. Uh, um, I think uh, in, in Canada, they did an experiment. So essentially it's a, it's a monthly income given by the government, right, in order to theoretically find a new job. And this is a subsidy. It's a, subs a subsidy approach, which is not completely in line with the European uh, version, the European approach on how to boost the labor market. Because if you just help people, right, it doesn't necessarily lead to create new jobs, to create new opportunities, and so on. The, uh, on the other end, rather than just helping people help and providing this kind of uh, uh, income, universal income, the other uh, approach, which is the European uh, Union approach, is to support the um, companies, support uh, um, the private, uh, private companies in order to hire and so the incentives, rather than helping people, rather than providing subsidies to people, they do provide incentives to companies in order to hire people, right? That will provide much more uh, um, solidity, substantial uh, um, stability, right, to the labor market because the companies are healthy, 
are well supported in order to hire and to create new jobs and to create new opportunities. Right? That's the major, pol major political labor reform uh, that Europe is asking, right? So the labor market. The second one is uh, justice. Justice in terms of uh, Italian law system is one of the most complex, probably in the world. There are different, uh, there are different, uh, um, of course, uh, mm, there are two, three main, uh, there are three main uh, um, law systems, administrative, civil, administrative and uh, penal uh, uh, system. So there are three. Uh, the Europe essentially is asking to simplify the justice system in Italy in order to speed up, actually, to um, speed up the, the timing of process. And so one of the most important reforms the Europe is asking is related to justice. And uh, in order to align the Italian justice system to the European one, right? That's a very, very complex task for the Italian government because it means to rethink, review, and, and make major changes, right? To a so rooted uh, justice system in Italy, right? And, uh, and that will be one of the most uh, challenging uh, tasks for the Draghi's government. So justice. So environment sustainability is the first reform, labor market and justice. And then there is a fourth uh, major, uh, major issue, which is a special uh, uh, issue for particularly for the Lega and Salvini's movement Lega, which is the, it, it, is it related to labor market, but not only, the immigrants coming from outside Europe, coming to Europe, and usually through Italy, right? because Italy is the portal for coming to Italy. And so that will be a challenge for Draghi, because Lega, of course, which is center-right, and mostly right, and the others, particularly the Democratic Party, the more progressive uh, uh, parties, Will be will be very conflictual uh, uh, relationship when they are going to uh, um, um, deal with the immigration uh, the immigration issues. The immigration issues are very complex in Europe as well, and uh, Draghi's approach is to take that face that issue from a European perspective. So Europeanism, as we call it, the European perspective means that the immigrants coming to Italy is not just an Italian issue. It must be a European issue, right? And the Europe should provide more support in order to uh, um, approach, in order to, to face that, that, that issue. However, that would be for sure a source of conflict in the actual majority, in the current majority, because Lega, Democratic Party, Italia Viva, Five Stars, they have quite different ideas on how to deal with immigration. And so it would be a nice episode in the Italian political circus because the immigration policies are very complex, particularly in the, uh, in the, current, uh, in the current scenario. 
Then the other, the other important um, aspect of uh, Draghi's government is what we call the Atlantism, which means uh, the Atlantic relationships, uh, so between Europe and uh, US, particularly Canada as well, to some extent, so the North America. And uh, with Biden now in, uh, in, in place, with Biden now in, uh, in power, that will be much easier for Draghi. So imagine Mario Draghi dealing with Trump. <laughs> it will be a, 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 an impossible mission. Now everything is, uh, is more um, doable, particularly because there is a kind of alienation between the new democratic uh, uh, wave coming from US with Biden's administration and uh, the European reforms and the Draghi's uh, government itself, they will be um, on the same page, on the same track, both with Europe and US, the Atlantic bloc. This is strategic for, you, for Italy, because again, Italy is not just Italy, Italy is part of Europe, and in a broader context, the Draghi's government is now part of a broader team, which is US, Canada, uh, Europe, the other European countries, and Italy. So it's a larger team, and Draghi will, will, will play for sure uh, in the best way possible in that. Awesome. Thank you for explaining all that. Um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about the political circus that you described um, at the beginning of this episode, but also just now recently. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, it sounds like there are a lot of political parties who hold the balance of power and who could withdraw their support at any time, leading to a fallen government. Do you think that the presence of multiple political parties in Italy has led to its political instability over the past several years? Well, we had political instability even when, uh, even when uh, there was a kind of polarization in center-left and center-right because essentially center-left was not a, a consistent political party. Center-left as a bloc was formed by many center-left parties, same in their center-right. There was Forza Italia, Lega in the center-right, Fratelli d'Italia, so there are many center-right, some more moderated, like Forza Italia nowadays, others more extremist to the, to the extreme right, like Fratelli d'Italia. But essentially, even when the Italian pol politics was more polarized, it was not a real polarization because those two different uh, uh, blocks were formed by many other political parties. And that's why it was not easy to uh, keep the majority, even when... Uh, uh, when, uh, well, be, before the rise of populism, before the rise of five stars uh, in, uh, in Italy. So the instability, let's say it's a, it's a natural condition for the Italian, the Italian politics. Also, this is part of the, how the constitution and the elections uh, work. Uh, because essentially, um, even after the elections, uh, it's very rich, it's very uh, difficult to reach a majority. Unless a political party gets uh, 45% uh, in the elections of votes, uh, 
which is almost impossible uh, nowadays, but essentially out of the ballots, it's very difficult for any political party to reach a majority. That's why they have to, after the vote, they have to discuss and they have to negotiate what kind of majority they can form. And in fact, again, we have seen the five stars uh, creating a government uh, first with Lega and then with the Democratic Party. So the two extremes. So this is uh, mm, that that's the matter. So it's uh, is the instability is not just because of the current uh, fragmentation of the political parties. Let's say that this is connaturated. This is a um, uh, the nature of the uh, Italian political system and political elections, uh, which is more um, uh, proportional than uh, um, full uh, majority. And so that's a first uh, reflection. So even before the rise of populism, there was instability because of the Italian political system itself. Of course, since the rise of five stars movement and not only since the rise of uh, populism in general the, in europe right the populist uh, movements in europe of course it's much more everything is much more fragmented right even the electors and voters are more uh, um, inclined to uh, change their their uh, the way they vote right mm, let's say that uh, particularly since uh, the beginning of uh, 20, um, 2010s, so essentially since uh, the rise of the Five Stars movements, the political situation, the political scenario changed. And that was not just Italy, because it was a European uh, uh, thing, so the rise of populism in, Italy, in, in Europe that eventually brought uh, uh, UK to go for Brexit. The rise of populism uh, uh, was able also to boost uh, Trump's uh, um, power back in, 20, in 2016 and so far and so on. So essentially at the end of 2010s, we see in Europe, in US, in UK and in Italy as well, a more fragmented uh, um, political scenario, the rise of populism, the rise of uh, even extreme right, uh, right wing, and the fragmentation of the left, center left, uh, um, liberal uh, and progressive uh, uh, center left movements as well. Democratic Party lost a lot of consensus then Italia Viva shaped uh, its own uh, movement, and then Leu, which means uh, Liberi e Uguali, free and equals. That's another movement uh, coming out of the Democratic Party. And so the fragmentation, of course, is now even more evident. And so in the actual uh, uh, parliament, in the Italian parliament, in, in both the highest, higher and lower chamber, um, there are many, many, um, and several political, part, po political parties and movements that, of course, have to negotiate a majority in order to uh, sustain or not uh, the, whoever is in, in charge. And so the instability is now 
even more evident because we have such a diverse uh, representation of different movements. But there is a major change we are uh, ex experiencing right now with the Draghi's, uh, with the Draghi's um, government. And uh, um, because essentially, even the most uh, populist movements, such as Five Stars and Lega, Lega very recently changed uh, its mind, but essentially because of Draghi, both Five Stars and Lega are shifting to, let's say, a moderated center liberal but progressive um, approach. Hmm? And this is fundamental. This is probably, hopefully, the end of right, uh, extreme right uh, wing populist approach, which is now essentially represented by Fratelli d'Italia in, in Italy. So probably the, the, the beginning of the fall, the, the fall of that extreme populist movement and the rise of a more moderated area in the center, center, and then it may be center progressive, so center left, or center, center liberal, which is slightly on the right, but essentially is the rise of a new center. And that is where Renzi, Berlusconi and others are looking with a great interest because that center area is the most appealing in order first to win the next European elections uh, coming soon. Secondly, to um, in 2023, when the Italian political elections will take place again, there, in 2023, that center area could, uh, of course, gain, get a lot of votes. That center area is the most uh, um, ambitious goals, um, not goals, is most, the center is the most ambitious area of potential voters for many, for many political parties. Because, of course, we know that politicians they do not, uh, they do not uh, just uh, deal with the present uh, needs. They just uh, see the next elections. This is what, they, what, what it matters to political parties, the next elections. Next elections are around the corner in 23, right? So in two years, there will be elections in Italy. And that center area is the most appealing for many. First and foremost, from Renzi, because Renzi knows that in that area, uh, Italia Viva could uh, uh, gain a lot of consensus. And uh, that, that's why we look forward to see who is going to move toward the, the, that uh, center area. For instance, uh, that center area could be appealing for Conte, for instance. If uh, uh, Conte uh, would uh, come back to politics somehow, even supported by Five Stars Movement, he could uh, attract 
that potential voters that are not uh, are no longer uh, associated with uh, populism uh, that kind of uh, uh, anti uh, we call it casta anti system anti system voters but those voters who are in the system and then probably they want to support that center moderated um, area of voters um, that can be very again very appealing for for many political parties for contest for 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 Conte, for renzi for uh, berlusconi and whoever is uh, with with them and, uh, and, uh, and and that center is going to play a role in europe as well for instance macron in uh, the march movement for the next uh, political uh, european political elections macron could uh, rise a lot of consensus on that uh, political center um, area uh, rather than the old uh, uh, socialist uh, and democrats uh, area in, in in europe so that's why i think uh, the Draghi's government and the current uh, political italian uh, uh, scenario it's a kind of laboratory for uh, what could happen in europe in a few years perfect that's a great explanation and the reason why i asked that question is because here in canada um, we have pretty much three main parties, like you mentioned earlier. We have the Conservatives, the Liberals, and the uh, NDP, the New Democratic Party. And then also, uh, I guess if you want to include the Green Party, they have a couple of members of Parliament, as well as the Bloc Québécois has, um, I would say, a presence in, in the House of Commons. Um, and our governments over the past years um, have been, um, well, for eight years straight, we had uh, two majority governments, the Harper majority and then the Trudeau majority, followed by now a Trudeau minority. That looks like it's on the cusp of becoming a majority once again, once the next election comes. But time will tell um, with regards to that. Um, and so this has allowed Canada, I think, to weather some of the crises that have occurred, such as the 2008 recession, um, such as the COVID-19 pandemic, right? And so I wanted to ask you, um, it could be argued that this pandemic and other crises that arise in the future require a, a stable Italian government to navigate them. So what kind of political reforms could, it, could Italy implement to ensure that it has more stable governments? Well, uh, there is a discussion going on since uh, a long while, so since ever, the political governments, any political government actually tried to change the election system and um, there were a few attempts. A major, a major political, uh, um, a major change to the election system was incorporated in the referendum back in twenty uh, in twenty sixteen. That eventually didn't pass. So the Renzi's referendum, because essentially to uh, to change the election political system in Italy, some, some minor changes can be done, right? Just by the government with the current majority. But if you want to change, if you want to make some changes and they are constitutional changes. So if you're going to change the constitution, not only that change must be approved by the higher and lower chamber 
but also that change to the constitution must be approved by Italian people uh, in a referendum, okay? So um, the referendum in 2016 didn't pass, Renzi lost his referendum, and that was a major change among many other, some other changes in that referendum, one of the most important was the change of the election political system in Italy. Eventually it didn't pass, but with that reform, with that change, uh, the Renzi's uh, approach was to provide a stronger majority to whoever wins the elections. Right? So the day after the elections day, you know who won and you know that that majority will govern for five years, like it or not, that's, that's it, right? Like in, in Canada, in US, in Canada, you know, there is a strong uh, majority and that's all for five years, uh, for four actually. Yeah, you get, you, you get what you get. So firstly, any government attempted and tried to change the election system the major change was incorporated in the referendum and didn't pass in 2016 with Renzi. However, reformulating, changing the election system in Italy, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's on the radar in order to provide more stability to whoever will be in charge uh, to form a government in the future. So. Mm, so probably uh, that will be an, an important uh, matter to be discussed. In order to go vote in 2023 with a better election system. Going to vote with a better election system, it means, of course, uh, conceptualizing those changes that can be implemented without changing the constitution because again if you're going to change the constitution you have to make a referendum first and so on instead if you're going to make some minor changes there's no need to do to make a referendum without making a referendum you can make those small changes in order to go again in 23 uh, for the elections and have out of the elections a more uh, more stability in terms of the majority so that would be a two-year agenda setting in order to have a better um, response from the ballots in 23. Then we have another important uh, um, aspect of the Italian um, political scenario, which is the election of the president of the Republic, because the Mattarella mandate, Mattarella's mandate is going to end uh, next year. And so the parliament uh, is called to uh, elect a new president. Uh, it's going to elect a new president. And the new president, in order to be elected, uh, must have a, a very large majority. It's not the proportional majority, but the, uh, uh, not the relative majority, but the absolute majority of the parliament. It's a very complicated uh, uh, business uh, uh, electing the president of the public 
we have to because it must be a representative of all uh, political parties and ideologies um, the highest um, uh, personality in many fields and draghi <laughs> essentially is the most uh, appealing candidate for the for running not for running because you do not run for president uh, as a, of republic you are elected by the parliament and so draghi as the most uh, possible um, candidate no candidate most possible designated to be uh, again designated as president of the republic that will be another major change it's very important because uh, if the parliament is going to uh, designate draghi as the president of republic whoever will be the next prime minister will be for sure alienated to draghi's approach europeanism atlantism and that kind of political vision the agenda setting that draghi is setting right now okay so that's the point if the italian government higher and lower chamber if they elect draghi essentially they set the next prime minister's agenda if they elect draghi the next prime minister's agenda is given and so the same reforms draghi is putting right now is working right now is running right now the same approach the same uh, reforms uh, uh, because another important, uh, I, I forgot to mention another important reform in Italy is the fiscal, uh, the tax uh, taxes reforms. Uh, if you have to do the tax return in Italy, is one of the most complicated things. Not only tax return, but the taxation is very uh, complicated. There are different shifts in in, in taxation and paying your taxes. And uh, that will be another important reform. And so the taxation reform Draghi is starting up right now. Justice reform, labor market reform, environmental sustainability reform, which is all out of uh, um, the European uh, Union's uh, reforms, uh, um, the, the, European, the reforms that the European Union is asking to some extent. So if they elect Draghi as the next president of Republic, the agenda is given, the agenda is set, and whoever will be the next one will be just continuing what Draghi is starting up right now, right? So it means that uh, basically, technically, theoretically, for seven years, uh, the agenda is set, is written. Two years now Draghi and five years whoever will be the next prime minister. Of course, we know if we like the Italian's uh, political, Italian, Italy's political circus, it, it's almost impossible to uh, have uh, one prime minister running for five years the country. I think Berlusconi was the the the, um, uh, the longest in place with three and a half or four. But essentially, it's almost impossible to run, resist until the end of your mandate, so which is theoretically five years. However, theoretically, for seven years, if they elect Draghi as president of Republic, for seven years, the agenda is set. What, is, what would be interesting instead is that if they do not 
elect uh, um, designate drive if, if the parliament because again the president of republic is not elected by people the president of republic is designated by the parliament so the two chambers if the two chambers the majority of the two chambers do not uh, elect draghi that will be maybe a game changer in the agenda setting for the next legislature for the next uh, five years 23 um, 20 27 28 that will be a game changer and so mm, i think uh, in terms of uh, your rather luca and uh, in terms of uh, if we want to really see what's what's next uh, in the italian political scenario we have to look at the upcoming next year upcoming uh, again it's not an it's not an election is the designated designation of the next president of republic that would be a very very important uh, uh, moment for italian politics because that will uh, make a difference will determine uh, the the actual next uh, the actual next agenda and of course in 23 then we have new elections and that would be much fun because uh, in the new elections uh, where, where everything can 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 happen Dr. Granata, that's a very comprehensive answer. And, you know, seven years of political stability to me in Italy sounds great <laughs> compared to what's been going on for the past, uh, since the turn of the century. Absolutely. And uh, and again, let me, let me say that Italy is not just, um, uh, well, a country on itself, on its own. It's part of Europe. So the Italy's stability is important to, uh, Italy's stability is important to Europe's stability, right? The stability in the European Union, particularly now without uh, without UK, and if there is um, consistency in uh, the European Union leading countries, France, Germany, Italy, and so on, if there is stability in Europe, there will be um, a great asset for the global uh, for the global political scenarios which means relationship to US and Canada, North America, and that potential conflictual relationships to uh, East Asia, China, Russia, and so on. So that's why I think it's important to uh, hope for Italy's stability, because Italy's stability means Europe's stability the united states of europe because that that's the well long-term scenario the united states of europe will uh, will make a global governance if we want to think in terms of really planetary planets uh, global governance the stability in europe the united states of europe could be um, more influential, right? For in terms of uh, a global governance uh, and the most important forces, uh, China, uh, US, uh, Russia, and so on, running the whole planet. Because again, in a long-term vision, um, that is uh, that is all about the global governance. We need many in many fields. Think uh, think about uh, um, technological uh, developments uh, in uh, AI, machine learning, uh, the even the uh, mid-long-term impact of the current uh, pandemic. Right, you have to face uh, this global crisis 
with a global governance. We cannot just uh, um, lie on uh, individual and geographic boundaries or local governments such as US, Canada, Europe, Italy, and so on. We need a global governance to, to face global issues. That's the main point. And so at the end of the day, we really hope, uh, we look forward to more stability in Italy in order to have uh, more stability in Europe. Perfect. Let's leave it there. Uh, thank you, Dr. Granata. My pleasure. It, and we hope we can have you on again soon. Oh, I, I wish uh, I could, and absolutely I look forward to it. Thank you very much, Luca.